0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Welcome to Scorpbox, here are your headlines today. SoftBank earnings are crossing the wires with investors eyeing a fourth straight quarter of losses at the Tech Investors Vision Fund, with CEO Masayoshi-san set to miss the earnings call the first time ever. BP Paribas reports a 9% rise in four-year revenue with strength across its corporate and institutional banking unit. CFO Lars Mashanel tells CNBC the macro outlook is still uncertain.
2: It's going to take maybe one, two quarters. It could be a slowdown, it could be a stagnation. It could, but it should be of short in duration and then business should pick up. In corporate news, Siemens
3: Energy. Net loss more than doubling in the first quarter amid charges at its wind unit, Siemens Gamesa. But the CEO, Christian Brook tells CNBC business is generally
4: good. The order book looks fantastic and we really see the strengths of the business. At the same time, we see the low light once again, unfortunately, in the wind business.
0: President Joe Biden prepares to deliver his second State of the Union address and talk up his landmark climate legislation. But his actions around a Chinese spy balloon will hover over the speech.
1: And the death toll here in Turkey continues to rise after two massive earthquakes hit the southeastern part of the country as well as Syria. Search
2: and rescue teams are desperately looking to save more lives against the backdrop of serious winter weather
4: conditions.
0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the programme. And we kick off the show with a quick look at the SoftBank numbers. I think the market was anticipating a painful figure, particularly around the tech reval that's been going on here. And that is, in fact, what SoftBank are ultimately delivering. So the group coming in with a nine-month group net loss of 915.51 billion yen. That's against a profit of 392.62 billion yen from the uh, previous period. So a dramatic loss being reported by SoftBank this morning. Coming in with a pre-tax loss at 290.04 billion yen as against a profit of 1.23 trillion yen from the previous period. At the Operating line, the uh, uh, pre-tax loss is a 63.3% decline with the net loss down 87.1%, delivering a, um, an earnings per share basic loss of uh, 599.97% yen with a diluted loss of 608.51 yen. These are pretty awful figures and I think the um, the fact that Masayoshi-san will not be attending the press conference where Uh, they talk about these figures um, also will be seen as a negative for a lot of investors who are worried about where this business is going. Uh, So we have the lieutenant stepping in to hold the press conference. And we're looking forward to um, some information about what happens with the arm listing and ultimately how the business feels about the revaluation we've seen across the tech sector. Well, I was
3: going to say, is this data all too backward looking in terms of as you say the revaluation in the tech sector because there's been another revaluation in the tech sector over the last three months now the Nasdaq for instance which is the best barometer I guess we've got of technology performance was 10,213 on the 28th of December it is now just shy of 12,000 so I hear what you're saying, I hear what, obviously the the data is the data, unarguable, but I'm just wondering if there's another revow which they're going to point to in the presentation today. Well actually, that's a little bit backward looking, things have firmed up since then. then." in
1: that case it means they can stop massaging the numbers themselves because if you think about the last quarter when they had to sell stakes in Alibaba to improve the bottom line, that was one of the strategies deployed. So the final quarter might actually be better, as you said, because of the technology bounce that we've seen. They think what comes next, other sales of assets and it's ARM that everybody's watching very, very closely. The spin off from um, the, the uh, sale to NVIDIA that isn't happening now, that the IPO that they're pushing forward with the time frame it doesn't seem like it will come in this fiscal year for the company so it may come over the rest of calendar 2023 that's what we're looking forward to obviously and whether it's listing in london or whether it's going to be in the united states or elsewhere
3: yeah very big battle to get that listing and one other point i want to make and that is a broader issue not about softbank but about tech versus the broader market now i know when i say the broader market i'm talking about the s p and that includes a lot of tech so that is my caveat but the s p trades just under 21 times now. The NASDAQ trades just below 24 times. So 23.79 as opposed to roughly 21. It's not a massive premium for all that growth, is it? Just chucking it out there.
1: We have to probably circle back to that. We've got other numbers crossing. Um, BNP Paribas are already into the numbers on uh, the fourth quarter revenue, 12.11 billion. That is up 7.8% from a year ago. In terms of what we're seeing elsewhere, the cost of risk for the final quarter, that's at 51.6 at 773 million euros. Want to dive into some of the other interesting numbers crossing that we're seeing from the corporate investment banking that is up 18.2%, so double digits here in the final quarter. Also worth noting, as you take a look at some of the trading numbers for FIC, uh, that is up 44.8% in the final quarter. So certainly some appetite there around fixed income trading and also uh, commodities, down 3.4% in equity and prime services. So somewhat of a transition there in terms of the appetite for trading. The company, BNP Paribas will propose a payout of a dividend at 390 in cash it plans to launch a share buyback program of 5 billion euros this year in two tranches and it's raised its 2025 financial targets so a lot of positives hidden here for the company uh targeting on average annual growth of net income uh, of more than nine percent between 2022 and 25 that is more than seven percent on top of them what's previously declared in terms of annual growth net income per share of more than 12 percent. so we've got some markers here as to where the company is anticipating to go but for me it's that banking income that is quite interesting as we know it's been somewhat volatile still in quarters of the market and fixed income is an area where a lot of the fund managers are now suitably interested.
0: Um, I know Charlotte's uh, coming on set even as we speak so she's going to talk about this but I wanted to pick up on your valuation story because I think it is something important for the market to yeah. focus on and I think um, I think you, your, your raised eyebrow and your scepticism is perfectly appropriate here and I think you know one of the stories that I was reading about this morning was uh, this Goldman Sachs research report where they've noted the number of hedge funds that closed trades that they had on, effectively short trades, as they were trying to take advantage of the fact that they expected the markets to go a lot lower on the back of the weaker economic data. A lot of people got that trade wrong, didn't they? Absolutely. But um, uh, the the Goldman Sachs report basically saying that um, the uh, latest uh, short squeeze implying stock prices rose so much that bearish bets became too expensive to hold, saw hedge funds caught out by a sharp rally in equities on February the 2nd. So the hedge funds are finding it difficult to trade this market. Throw on top of that, there was a great piece – I know we all had this in the the inbox – earnings musings. We're halfway through the earnings season here and um, it's not been cracking, has it? Um, Earnings are declining 2.7% this season, the first contraction since third quarter 2020. And yet the markets still don't want to listen, right? The S&P is up, what, 7% still year-to-date, in spite of yesterday's decline. I have a theory about that, that the the, the tacticians and the strategists who said
3: to us the market can't rally until we've had that earnings recession, well, now we have the earnings recession here. Mm. So actually... There'll be people in the market who say, well, yeah, we can't rally until we've got it. But we've got it. So that's good news. So now we can buy the market because you were waiting for that as a signal historically. You told us we couldn't have the rally until we saw an earnings recession trough. Well, now we're getting the earnings recession at long last. Whew, now we can buy it. <laughs> they're they're find <laughs> any excuse. Brilliant.
1: Let me do a bridge across to our next door on BNP because I think that's going to say something about the next quarter. On the equity side, I think there's a lot of active trades going on at this point uh, around earnings season. But, Charlotte, we were looking at the numbers from BNP Paribas. The FIC trading was incredible. That seemed to be where some of the interest really was. Just walk us through the numbers and what jumped out to you.
5: Yes, well, it was a beat on revenue for Q4 at €12.1 billion Euros against 11.2 forecasts forecast. Uh, but it's the net income that was below expectation in the fourth quarter that came at €2.1 uh, billion, uh, ex- uh, outside of exceptional items, that uh, the cost of risk jumped 52%. That's one of the reasons why uh, they miss on the net income. But it's so uh, operating expense goes up 6.8%, that we've seen with some of their uh, competitors but they still have positive uh, Jaws effect. But as you mentioned, Karen, that the CIB revenue was up 18.2%, with FIG up 45%, which helped them obs- uh, offset some of the, uh, the equities revenue that there was down 3.4%. You remember that it's an area that BNP has very much invested in and pushed to build that part of the business. But Of course, it's been suffering in the past quarter. Uh, commercial and personal banking, their revenue was up 8% in uh, Q4. But Of course, a lot of attention was also on what BNP was going to do with the proceed from the bank uh, from the from the sale of bank of West that they finally completed just last week it freed up they sold it with 16.3 billion dollars unlocking a huge amount of capital a 170 basis point of CT1 ratios a lot of questions were what they we're going to do with that money and so they announced yesterday they would make a return to shareholder of 60 percent and uh, so earning per share of 7.8 euros and a dividend of 3.90 euros and also, a share buyback program of five billion euros, four billion of those coming from those proceeds of Bank of West. Finally, the up the objective, despite that miss on profit for Q4, uh, they up the objectives in the 2025 plan that they announced just a year ago, and now they're looking at that average annual growth of in net income of more than nine percent uh, annually versus seven percent uh, previously, and a return of tangible equity of twelve percent in 25. So overall, a strong set. Of, of results for BNP, despite, you know, there was this net income miss for the fourth quarter.
0: we got some sound. Should we have a listen? We do
5: have some sound. I had a chance to catch up with the CFO of BNP Paribas to talk about the performance for the bank. Uh, this is what he had to say.
2: Well, if you look at the results over 2022, they are basically a tribute to BNP Paribas. BNP Paribas being a very solid bank, close to its customers, with a multitude of, of services. And if you look at it, just it basically across all our services. So the top line is up 9%. We operate with positive jaws. Cost of risk is low at 31 basis points over outstanding. And therefore the bottom line up 7.5%. So it's basically the bank. Is very well diversified, is off to a very good start of its plan. And basically, that is what we see. So, it's basically across all of those services that we see this growth.
5: Can we look specifically at CIB? Of course, very good again in Q4, revenue up 18.2%. Um, equities, though, is one that's been going down, even though it's one part of the business where you've been investing heavily and pushing quite heavily. So, how do you see the activity going within this specific part of the business?
2: Yeah, if you look at it, our CIB is very well diversified, right? We are in fixed income, we are in equities, we are in corporate banking. And so what typically is, there can be one quarter or another, there can be more demand in fixed income, or there can be more uh, demand in prime markets, or there can be more in equity. And so that's a bit how things go up and down. What is very important for us is that we really step up our market share. And if you compare the performance on those three divisions in the fourth quarter with our peers, you clearly see that we outperform.
5: Say that your full-year cost of risk was at €2.9 billion, euros, was bang on with uh, expectations. Um, looking into 2023, how do you see the macro environment? Uh, some are going to see a soft landing in the US and in Europe, is that what you're looking at? Is that going to allow you to release some of the provisions?
2: Yeah, we we basically the, the the we qualify whatever is happening as look through. What I mean by that is it's going to take maybe one two quarters. It could be a slowdown, it could be a stagnation, it could be, but it should be of short in duration and then business should pick up. And so that is why if you look at that, and if you look at our clients, which are basically the large corporates, they are very well diversified. So on the side of BNP Paribas, we don't expect any material pickup in cost of risk. And that's why we've guided across all of the years to come that our cost of risk would be below 40 basis points, which is already what you saw in 2022. And that is what we expect going forward.
5: The CFO of Ben speaking to me on their results, so as he said one or two quarters of slowdown or potential stagnation coming up, he sees this as a short duration pick up afterwards so they expect still a low cost of risk and so announcing what they will do with their proceeds from Buck of West that return to shareholders of 60% and upping the objective for 25 of annual growth of more than 9% in net income. Yeah I had a
3: good look through the numbers, I went to the, the slides of the presentation and I couldn't find anything particular, I thought oh well that's a horrible situation that stand out amazing they seem to be like kind of top middle of the pack almost you know it's two-thirds the way up it's like everything the price to book's 0.6 which is reflecting that i not in crisis levels like swiss or deutsche but not at the victor Lodorum level such as i don't know julius Baer or something so yeah, it looks really solid and kind of you know on, on the way i looked at the jaws ratio that looked pretty good i think it was uh, two percentage points or there or thereabouts above so uh, yeah thank you brilliant nice to see you good um i've had a good look at these siemens energy figures as well um the net loss more than doubled in the first quarter reaching 598 million euros due to charges at the wind business siemens Gamesa. have we got a share price uh, sh- price we can put up thanks adam yeah because i just want to make a point before we get to i think it's worth looking at before we get to aneta's tape with uh, christian brook who's the ceo is is it's been a stunning rally off that if you look at there the october low it is they were down at 1034. now they've virtually doubled well, they now? 1863. So I think, in my head, given the fact that Christian has come on uh, quarter after quarter and handed up, said, "Look, Gomez is a problem. We know Gomes is a problem, and that is still the problem. Why they've got these extra net losses, and yet the order backlog." is huge, 98.8 billion euros at the end of December. So I, I think this is very interesting. Do you want to chat before or after we get to the table? I don't
0: know, I'll just make a couple yeah. of points. I mean, we, we talked to Vestas, didn't we, yes. uh, when we were in Davos, and it, it's clear that even though the whole sector is getting repriced, there are delivery problems and execution problems, Absolutely. and there are margin issues. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, that, that's it. Well, look, um, that's the backdrop. Now let's listen in to Annette's interview with uh, Christian Bruch, and she started asking him about those main drags on the bottom line.
4: We do see pictures with really highlights and lowlights, I really have to say. Um, You see the business around grid technologies, which means really the transport of electricity with gas services, so new um, gas-based power generation, and what we call transformation of industry doing excellent. Earnings are up, uh, order book looks fantastic, and we really see the strengths of the business. At the same time, we see the low light Once again, unfortunately, in the wind business with Siemens Gamesa, there was an additional um, loss anticipated in the service business, which means the installed fleet. What we anticipated were higher than expected warranty costs of installed um, plants, which we'd have to take uh, provisions for. And this is what you do see in the earnings. All in all, I would say um, we still see that the business is doing well with the energy transition. However, that we still obviously have to do homework with regard to the wind business.
2: The wind business is for a long time already a big drag on your earnings and uh, also is over your share price performance. So how long will it last until you can turn it around or is it uh, possible to turn it around actually?
4: Yeah. Now, as you know, we have uh, um, replaced the CEO last March and I do see a lot of good things happening in terms of stabilizing the business. And uh, what I do see at the moment happening is that the terms and conditions of the new contracts stabilize, uh, we get better conditions, in particular, the ability to reflect inflation, which was a big drag down in the last years, uh, reflected in our contractual terms. At the same time, definitely, we ask also in discussion with uh, the regulators and the governments to make sure that the future bounty conditions in the market will reflect things like inflation, things like uh, faster build-out of the capacities, which will help the business to get profitable. I'm confident that we can get the business on track. And in this regard, also, we push for the finalization of the transaction, which means the buyout of the minorities of Siemens Gamesa, to fully focus on this turnaround. But I do see a lot of positive signs in terms of stabilizing the business um, over the next quarters to come. At least this is what uh, also the teams is focusing at the moment, quarter after quarter after quarter.
2: Um, let's again look at the outlook, though, because you're guiding again for a loss for the full year 2023, but a positive uh, uh, free cash flow. So that means, in other words, though, that the situation will not be turned around or will not materially improve during the course of this year.
4: No, and this is due to uh, the wind business, as we indicated, uh, based on the results we presented in quarter one. And this you obviously see reflecting also throughout the total of 2023. And even so, the other business is doing better than expected. It cannot compensate it for this additional uh, provisions which we had to take in the service business. However, uh, obviously, uh, as you said, I mean, our cash flow looks better than expected because also of the strong growth of the order book. That's positive. But absolutely, 2023 will be for us something like a transition year. As we said before, with uh, the net earnings lower than originally anticipated because of the provisions in wind. But the rest is doing better than expected, and I obviously expect it from there to substantially improve.
0: Annette there speaking with uh, Christian Brook, the uh, CEO of um, Siemens Energy. Um, still to come on the programme this morning, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is set to give a speech in Washington, D.C. later today. How will the markets interpret the latest comments? We'll talk about that when we come back.
1: And for more on the latest earnings, check out the scorebox podcast.
3: All right, so on to the big January rally, um, the historic January rally in some days, uh, we have got a little bit of a downtick on these markets. Still, NASDAQ losing 1% overnight. Communication services down 1.3% uh, was the biggest declining sector. Uh, nine out of 11 sectors were in negative territory. Quick look at the treasuries for you as well. 3.63 is where the 10-year paper is trading. Uh, the two-year picking up again in terms of yield, the underlying selling off a little bit as we continue to get stunningly solid data. Uh, which of course uh, means the market has to move further to the fed than the fed moving further to the market in terms of what we get in this blinking competition this uh, chicken competition about who is going to uh, Pivot first, the market or the Fed. And at the moment, the market's having to go towards the Fed because the data remains stunningly robust, as we saw with the the incompetence exposed of every pretty much economist out there who once again got payroll wrong last week. I will say one more thing because Jeff's tease before the break was about the excitement about the, 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 the Fed Powell speech today. Well, let me just douse that excitement. Let me put the, uh, the, the, the the prick in the balloon, so to speak. And it's not a weather balloon or a spying balloon this time around. But the fact of the matter is, he's gonna say the same as he said last week. All right, just so you know, just so yeah. Here, that's my foresight, that's my mystic meg. He'll say exactly the same as he said after they just raised rates, okay? Yeah, inflation's off the top, but we still need to be vigilant. Yeah. Okay. gosh, it done it for you. Okay, Asian markets look like this. Uh, Nikkei. Look at the Nikkei. Nikkei? Unchanged. But did you see the Japanese real wages? In fact, I'm not even going to mention it because I've just seen it's Karen's next read. So I'll let her do it now. Go, Karen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pick up on that point because we are getting a lot of cues from a number of countries today and one from Japan with these real wages rising for the first time in nine months despite rising inflation. Total cash earnings or nominal pay grew 4.8% on year. That was the largest gain since 1997. However, some of these seen as temporary winter bonuses are not underlying salary, which is seen as key. Now, separate data showed household spending falling for a second straight consecutive month in December as rising prices offset otherwise robust private consumption. And to Australia, where the Reserve Bank has raised its key lending rate by 25 basis points, extending its record run of hikes to nine meetings in a row and saying Further increases would be necessary in order to tame inflation. RBA Governor Philip Lowe said it would be sometime before inflation was back within its target range of two to three percent Australia's consumer price inflation hit a 32-year high in December, up 7.8% on the year. You may recall when I came back from Australia, I said that it did still seem like the market was incredibly hot. So much consumption taking place and here we are. The market got the rate hike and there are now more coming, which was not really the picture as I came back uh, from that trip.
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, more messaging like that, I think. Uh, probably, given what you've said, Steve, we're going to see more of the same from Powell. But the uh, Fed's Raphael Bostic says the central bank need to lift interest rates higher after january's job numbers came in stronger than expected bostic told bloomberg that if the economy remains persistently strong the fed would quote have a little more work to do meanwhile u.s treasury secretary janet yellen says the strength of the u.s labor market could help the country avoid recession yellen told abc news that she sees a path forward where inflation declines and the economy remains strong. Well, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is set to give a speech today at the Economic Club of Washington, with many investors hoping he will offer more clarity on the Fed's rate path. The Fed raised interest rates by a quarter point on Wednesday, as expected, and Powell promised more rate hikes to come. But stocks rallied as many investors chose to focus on his disinflation comments. Well, The U.S. President, Joe Biden, is set to give his annual State of the Union address in Congress tonight, his first since Republicans took control of the House of Representatives. Biden is expected to strike an optimistic tone and use the speech to reconfirm his core campaign promises. Restoring the soul of the nation, rebuilding America's middle class and uniting the country beyond calls for bipartisan cooperation, the president will also lay out his case for re-election in 2024, although no formal announcement is expected. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box
3: Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.